If you think about the value that students get out of that, I think that's what's important to take away from it, right? Like they're getting information from real world practitioners of really cool companies that are thinking differently and being innovative. That's going to stick with those students. That is valuable for them. Welcome to Attention Retention, a special podcast series on how to attract, enroll, retain, and empower the modern learner. Brought to you in partnership with our friends at Archer Education. Over the course of this series, we will cover higher ed's product problem and discuss how to fix it, the challenges with major and program relevance in today's dynamic market, how to successfully attract, enroll, and retain adult learners, and how to compete in a market when your school doesn't have a national brand. This series is co-hosted with Angie Moore, the Senior Vice President of Student Engagement, and Clayton Dean, the Senior Vice President of Agency and Partnership Management at Archer. And also with yours truly, Zach Buzicruz here from Enrollify. Attention Retention is comprised of six episodes, but the content doesn't need to be consumed sequentially. That said, if you want to listen in chronological order, be sure to scroll on down to the show notes where you'll find every episode listed and linked. Getting attention is hard enough, so once you have it, You've got to do everything that you can to harness it. And that's what our friends at Archer Education help schools do so dang well. Well, you'll get a taste of some of their ideas on how to optimize marketing and recruitment strategies over the course of this series in order to really learn more about how Archer revolutionizes the student experience through marketing, enrollment, and retention services, you'll want to check out the content hub that they built exclusively for Enrollify subscribers. You can find this content hub at archeredu.com forward slash Enrollify. Again, that's archeredu.com forward slash Enrollify. All right, without further ado, Welcome to Attention Retention. So Angie and Clayton, Hired has a couple of particularly unique challenges when it comes to customer or student acquisition. And first and foremost is that its customer base, right, is is quite diverse compared to that of other organizations its size. And second is the fact that Hired is an industry that prides itself on being inclusive, right? Like it's it's sort of like synonymous with higher ed, right? This is an inclusive, diverse uh, body of people where, where you come to learn, where you come to study. It's very international in, in many contexts. So I'm curious to hear about your all's thoughts on whether or not schools can get more specific in their positioning without ostracizing certain populations. Like, how do schools niche down without being exclusive? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting problem. It's and I think a lot of a lot of schools, a lot of programs, a lot of departments, you know, you do have a really broad, wide audience if you, on paper, right? And their natural inclinations to to go broad to you know to target everybody, right? Yeah. But I think as we as you know, what we talked about in the last episode of, you know, it's a sea of sameness and there's a lot of similar programs out there. I think you need to, you need to niche down. You need to understand based on what makes your program unique, what audiences are a good fit. And I, and I say audience in a very kind of, you can build personas in a, in a, in a broad way where you're not ostracizing people. You're, you're building those personas based on, you know, the outcomes that are achieved in the program and where people are in their journey. Right. So, 
a lot of people can be, you know, can go after a, or need a com computer science degree. Right. But, you know, you can build personas that, um, you know, that really cater to a large swath of people from different backgrounds, experience levels, ages. Um, but it's more focused on what they're trying to accomplish. Yeah. Right. Um, like it, it's almost like if, you know, you were a regional school and you have a computer science program, maybe you, you know, you're not going to be able to compete with folks that want to go to the coast, right. And study it at a, you know, more reputable institution perhaps, but you could in fact be the best place to get a computer science degree in Wisconsin, right. Or, or something like that. Or like get a job in Wisconsin or get a job. In, get exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like yeah. this is where you want to go. This is what you want to study. If you, if your desired outcome is to stay locally and, and work in, in your field, but from a place that, you know, you know, and love and, and, you know, well, I think, I mean, there's, you know, if you, there's uh, how many computer science programs out there, right? Yeah. Curriculum's the same, but I think what we always try to communicate to our partners is, you know, understanding and identifying, even though the, they, on paper, they look identical. There's so much about your school that, that is unique and we need to extract that. And then we build personas based on that of people who are mission aligned, right. And who are, um, you know, there might be a, a specialization or something unique within the program that you can, you can build personas around. And, and again, a persona is not necessarily, you know, cut and dry of this exact person persona is more of how someone thinks and what they're trying to accomplish. And then we build multiple audiences underneath that. Right. So you're still able to, you know, if your goal is to build a more diverse student base, which is, you know, highly valuable, you can still accomplish that. You're not going to alienate a specific group. You're more focusing on what they're trying to accomplish, where they are in their journey and how the program fits. Right. Yeah. I think there's a lot of fear of leaving groups out or people out or only appealing to certain types of people or learners or whatever. And I think that mm -hmm. it's, you have to realize that it's okay to not go about your uh, marketing and recruitment of we need to appeal to everyone we need to have mass appeal because i think clayton to your point you're not tr you're not ultimately trying to attract and enroll every type of student for each individual program even it could be that different types of learners would succeed in this program and so how do you go out and find the types of students that you're actually looking for in terms of, again, just thinking about like the types of outcomes or jobs that they would get from that degree, the types of learners that would succeed in certain types of programs, you know, whether or not, I don't know, you could bring it down even to someone trying to, you know, go into a certain, break into a career, shift careers, or accelerate in their existing career. Um, so I think, I think just starting with that mindset that it's okay mass appeal and mass marketing and mass communications and nurturing just don't work anymore you're not you're going to try to appeal to everyone and actually appeal to no one yeah, yeah. um and so i think that's why we see this kind of sea of sameness out there is there is a little bit of that fear and i think when we work with partners and help them you know not only understand how to pull those uvps out and and truly communicate what's different about them but it's that it's okay to do that and that you can be successful in um targeting more of a niche audience um people that are going to be really drawn to what you have to offer versus having a limited appeal to a lot of people well i think if you can nail that if you can if you can attract those mission aligned people if you can tell the story of what mm -hmm. you're trying to accomplish and attract those people who are who think along the same lines you're going to get a really engaged group of students in that cohort they're right. much more likely to persist right 
And, um, you know, it's all about how you tell that story in the beginning and, and really get them excited about, it. but you're going to attract the right people. Right? right. And the people that you want to make, you know, to, to be the makeup of the program. Right. And I think, you know, when we start partnering with institutions, we hear that a lot, right? Like we want really engaged students. We want to partner mm -hmm. with the right, or we want to enroll the right students. But then there is again, just that fear to actually do the things that it will take to attract engaged students or to create that engagement on a more personal level. Yeah. Um, so I think that that is really important, Clayton. Yeah. Well, I also think too, right, part of being inclusive is ensuring that you have the resources to set your students up for success. And if you don't have the resources or you don't have the infrastructure to ensure that people that want to study this particular, you know, in this particular niche field can do so well and can graduate from your institution ready to take on a, a job in that respective space, like you are doing a disservice, like you're trying to be inclusive, but you're actually doing a disservice to your students because you're not able to effectively equip them with the resources that they need to be successful. Yep, exactly. Well, to that point, what's what we've been doing a lot of thinking about is how do we how do we partner more with and work more with those on the instructional design side and like the classroom experience and how do we work together from the marketing enrollment in that side of the house um, to share information, share data. So we understand where there might be pockets like to help, uh, you know, we, we can get a better understanding of this, the population that is coming into the class. Is there opportunities where we can expand to other personas to unlock different backgrounds that can make the learning experience more valuable, you know? So Clayton, you talk about personas and I think that there's just such a mixed bag of feelings on like personas and their value yeah. and yeah, yeah. what you can do with them. And I think one of the things that's interesting about what we do with personas, not only for targeting and finding those audiences, is actually using that data across the student journey yeah. to track to outcomes. Mm -hmm. So, and then you can pass that information back to marketing. So, yeah. and I think, you know, we can talk a little bit more granularly about how we do all of that, but I think it is so important for this feedback loop um, for those. And I think, you know, at some point you can even stop calling them personas because it really, like once you have it and then it goes through the student life cycle and you're getting that data and passing it back, you've optimized and changed so much about it that you, it's, persona is a starting point, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can actually track that tag, like, through your lead flow to say this person came in on this type of creative and this persona, how did they do through the nurturing and communications process? How long did it take them to apply and enroll? And then how did they do in the classroom? If you can connect all those dots back and actually understand the performance, um, you can have a lot more meaningful implications then about how to, again, like not only optimize your marketing, that communications path, and ultimately the classroom and what you're doing to better serve those students. So I think yeah. uh, when we talk about personas, I think just the way we use them might be a little bit different than I yeah. think when other people, or when you just hear the word or term persona, I think sometimes people just tend to like roll their eyes and stop listening, but there's something to like the, the actual usage of them. They're not just, it's not just a, yeah. uh, we're going after this type of X, Y, Z person. Oh, I totally agree. And I think those that have that mentality are just not doing them the right way, yeah. in my opinion, like, and I, and we can talk more about how we look at those. Cause I think it is, they're super useful in a lot of different applications, right? Yeah. Last week, I finally finished season two of Ted Lasso. When the series had come to an end, it was only 9.45 p.m., which meant I had a solid 45 minutes before it was time to go to sleep. I don't know if there was a glitch in the recommendation algorithm or something, but there was no opportunity to keep watching Apple TV. 
I was engaged. I wasn't ready to go to bed. I was willing to give Apple more of my time because I wanted more lasso-like content in my life. But they led me to a dead end. So I left and started browsing Netflix instead. And while the journey to enrollment for a student is quite different from binging an Emmy award-winning TV series, all institutions and streaming services actually care about the same thing. And that thing is attention. If you work in student recruitment, you're in the market for eyeball time. You're not just competing with other institutions, you're competing with every brand that's in the market for views, clicks, and scrolls from your target audience. Getting attention is hard enough. So once you have it, you've got to do everything that you can to harness it. And that's what our friends at Archer Education help schools do so dang well. Archer is pioneering a new era in personalized student recruitment through its story-driven and technology-enabled approach that's designed to support the entire enrollment process. And one of the ways that Archer is doing this is through Onward, their digital experience platform. Onward is a dead-end squasher. It's a choose-your-own-adventure-style experience that replaces your static thank you pages with an always-on system that pre-qualifies every prospect, so your admissions team can focus their efforts on those inquiries that are engaged right now. Onward is the secret in the toolbox of top-performing admissions teams. It's the attention optimizer that keeps prospects engaged and inspires them to offer more context about who they are, what they want, and when they're looking to enroll. To learn more about how to harness attention when it's hot, visit archereducation.com forward slash enrollify. Again, that's archereducation.com forward slash enrollify. Oh, and if you're struggling to get attention from prospects, the Archer team has a plethora of digital advertising solutions in their arsenal that'll help you reach the precise students that you're looking for. And if you haven't discovered it already, Enrollify and Archer have partnered on a brand new podcast series called Attention Retention. Learn more about attention retention wherever you get your podcast or at podcast.enrollify.org. Get attention, keep attention, hit your enrollment targets. Visit archereducation.com forward slash enrollify to learn more. I and I'd love for you guys to flush this out actually, because I do think, you know, anyone that's been to any sort of like higher ed marketing workshop or like a, you know, a a conference, right, and they walk into a session and they hear about personas, it people do start rolling their eyes because it's like, oh, okay, yeah, like, tell us about where your people live. Like, you know, what what did they study in undergrad, right? Like, and they're very, very basic. Maybe there's 12 questions, and then it can, it can feel impossible because either it's way, way, way too broad or you get way, 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 way too specific, and it's like, well, you can't create a persona for every freaking student, right? So yep. how do you guys approach personas? And, is you know, are your clients at Archer using them in any particularly meaningful ways? Anything you can share yeah. on that would be helpful. Yeah, I'll start. And I think it you know, applies a lot to Angie's side of the business. But um, yeah, we look at, so I think it really boils down to one thing. It's the student journey, right? And we've, we talk a lot about this in the work that we do is understanding you know, the, the target audience of, of you know, who's the best fit for a program. What are, the, what are those individual stories? What are, where are they in life? Where are they going? How does this program fit, right? That's really at the core of what we want to understand. And so what we'll, we'll do, we do a lot of discovery work and get, you know, v- viewpoints from faculty, administration, marketing, anybody we can talk to, alumni, current students. And we start formulating and identifying either using existing data, if they have it, or if it's a brand new program, we'll, you know, we can either refer from our experience or a combination of the, you know, the discovery. But we'll try to come up with, you know, four or five, six different profiles, right? But here's the difference in a normal persona 
is their here's their age, here's their background, here's where they're from, here's their education. Yes, that's important, but we take it five or six levels deep, right? Like we're trying to understand how they think, what's driving their decision making, right? So when we say personas, we're trying to really understand what's ultimately driving that individual, what are they concerned about, what problems are they trying to solve? And let's dig into that, right? Like where do, where does this program fit in that life that life's journey? So we we talk about the story arc of um oh gosh, um Joseph Campbell. Joseph Campbell. Like you hear that a lot in our in our business, but understanding that and telling a story that's going to resonate with people and connect with them is really critical and we use the persona as a as a starting point for that. And again, that persona is not built to say we have these five audiences, we're only going to target them. It's it's an overarching arc of here's how this group thinks. Here's what they care about. Let's design, let's build campaigns that is going to, you know, target those individuals who we know think like this. Here, let's build creative and ad copy that's going to speak to the challenges these people face. Let's yeah. let's help them visualize where this program fits in their journey and how this program is going to help them solve problems, right? So, you know, just from like a, a paid media perspective, for example, we'll, that's, we'll use that in that in the sense of, um, you know, to inform our campaign design, to inform our ad and creative. When you take when you look at it on from a content perspective, we a lot of the work that we do is based on the funnel. Right. So we're going to build funnel based content for that persona that is answering the questions they have at the top of the funnel. We're creating really informative, beneficial content that is going to help you know, continue to nurture them, but specific to the problems they're facing. Right. Um, so and then when you go to Angie's side, so we talked earlier about, you know, that continuation, that consistency of like, you know, we might engage with somebody on a really deep level, like, Hey, I really care about solving food deserts in my community. I, this is a track of how this program is going to help me get there. Then, you know, once they're in the pipeline, you have to continue that nurturing you have to continue to show them the value of how it's this program is going to help them solve a problem well i think one ad additional difference too is that because these personas go so deep and are so specific you're not talking about like one persona per program or a couple we have several i don't there's no like magic number there or anything so it kind of depends on the program but you know there, it, it isn't just okay this is this program and this one or two personas that we're going after these are really deep trying to make deep connections with people and then i'd say when it comes to okay we've got the lead now how do we follow up and continue that conversation that is more one-on-one -on -one? we already know something about this uh prospective student how can we speak to that so i'd say the first thing that, that i think tends to not happen when you're using something like personas or even just like what creative someone kind of convert it off of is simply just track it track it into your crm so that you have that data and then you know i know that this sounds easy over overly simplified but it's not but track that into your sis track that into your lms so that you can connect these dots and understand what's performing and resonating with people so i think that's step one but then the second thing you can do you know we talked a little bit earlier just about how um you know admission the admissions teams are there's more programs today there's more modalities they've got to do a lot of work and a lot more work with less so they really need to be having one-on-one -on -one conversations with those engaged prospective students and not spending a ton of their time making phone calls where no one's answering the phone right like no one's going to answer the phone if they don't know the number today like that's just 
the way it works. So one of the things you can do with this type of information is actually tailor that communication specifically to a persona. So I'll give you a quick example is if you know someone came in on a sp specific persona, something like, you know, women in tech is a persona or whatever, and that they've indicated, you know, that they have um, they want to complete their degree, their undergrad, and they have credits to transfer in. Like, you can get those things really quickly on your lead forms without making cumbersome lead forms. It's simple as like program. Do you have credits to transfer yeah, in? Yeah. And then you can start to tailor your follow-up immediately specifically to those three key pieces of information that you have on a student. Again, like start small with these things. Don't try to have 50 different variables that you're using to create this um, communications track. And then if you have the right tools, you don't have to have segments for every single one of those. You can actually use variable blocks of content to drop them in as long as they're on the lead forms and in the lead fields and in the CRM, you can create blocks of content that actually speak right to them. So then let's say someone came in on that type of a lead form or that path, then you can serve them a follow-up information like email text that says, hey, Alice, um, you know, our, our computer science degree, um, this is what you can do with that as a woman in tech. You know, you can speak specifically to kind of where you know they're coming from and some of the challenges that they might face and how this degree might help them. Um, as well as, you know, do you want to talk about the credits that you have to transfer in? Like, you can actually speak to an admissions rep right now. So, again, like, we use personas um, not only to track performance, but to actually be able to speak um, to those prospective students as they're in the funnel, kind of one-on-one, so that we can get those engaged uh, prospective students over to the admissions team. It's all about personalization. Yep. I mean, that's that's the whole point. And you know, with underneath those personas, we can build, we can segment dozens of different audiences, right? Because different age groups, different experience levels are all, you know, everybody's going to be trying to solve that same problem or might be on a similar journey, right? So um, yeah, it all comes down to just the personalization component and that in developing those personas outside of just where they're from, how old they are, what degree they have and how they think the challenges they need to solve that, it, that unlocks the opportunity to create that personalized experience that really is just going to differentiate you in the market. You know, most people are going to build a some five simple personas and deliver the same, the same content yeah. to them, the yeah. same ad copy. Right. So like, if you just think about that, just from a student experience perspective, what's yeah. going to, you know, what's going to engage them. Right. Yeah. It's pretty obvious. Right? If you start with a broad message, kind of what we were talking about earlier, you have nothing more specific to speak to as they're in the funnel. Yeah. Um, you know, we also like to, within uh, this nurturing path, ask additional, additional questions as they're going through the journey. One of the things that we've found to help continue this idea of personalization and catering, you know, to, to people, not, you know, audiences, is to ask questions along the way and actually in your follow-up communication, let them respond. So, for example, you can ask a question in an email that's yes or no, and you can make those buttons. They're trackable. You know how someone responded, and now you can tailor the next communication based on how they responded to that question. Um, so again, if you think about, if you're starting broad, it's hard to get narrower. If you can start with some sort of, you know, you're, you've narrowed in on a particular type of audience now continuing. Um, I know that it's a buzzword like mass personalization. I hear that a lot. And I feel like no one really not a lot of people, I should say, dig into what that really means. But these are the types of things I think that that gets into is how do you use technology and uh, blocks of content and um, information that you're tracking on what someone's clicking on 
on your website down to what they submit on a lead form to actually tailor, not just, okay, that's going to fire an email. What does that email say that's different that can speak to that individual? What I, what I think uh, you guys are getting at, which is, which is super, I think, helpful and also just like needed, you guys are touching on the fact that schools really need to have very individualized pathways for students, not just programmatically, like not just by program, but also, okay, within that program, what are what matters most to Clayton and what matters most to Angie? What are their biggest fears, their biggest concerns? And like, we, we there's some amount of content and context that we have to deliver to everybody because we have one program that these people are all going to be a part of. But what are the sticky points for Clayton versus for Angie? Like, maybe Clayton really worried about like, you know, immediate, how quickly after this is a big investment, how quickly after I graduate, will I actually be able to get a job? If that's his number one, you know, trigger, if you will, how do you ensure that you are calming that fear or speaking to that in every communication you send Clayton versus, you know, Angie, she's less worried about that, but she's really, she's more worried about modality. Like she is going to have to work the whole time. She wants to make sure that there's uh, that, you know, when, when they say it's a hybrid program, that it's really hybrid and not like mostly in person, right? Like how do you help better understand those aspects and those elements even if you have a singular program that you're offering and i think that 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 is what makes all the difference schools spend shit tons of money working on uh, you know creating ads that i think you know some, some people do this really well where they might have ads with really compelling copy that does speak to clayton versus angie but then once you click on that ad you're taken to the same landing page and then once you convert on that it's you're in this you're enrolled immediately into the same workflow and then people wonder we have all these leads and no one's converting they wonder why it's like well, you did the first step, which you you personalized the ad, but then once they got into your system, you forgot all that. Yeah, it's almost like you, it's worse if you feel like it's going to be personalized yeah, and then it's yeah, generic, right? And I think part of the challenge there is that that's it's hard work. It yeah. is hard work to find the right tools, set them up, integrate them together. Like again, it's oversimplifying. Yeah, but these tools are out there, right? You think about e-commerce and what you see out there today like there's some very sophisticated tools that allow you to do this in a way that's like point and click you know you don't have to have to program it all yourself but I think you kind of took the words right out of my mouth one of the things that we do with our technology is one of the first questions we ask when a lead kind of comes in a it's it's not actually in an email communication actually we might have an email communication that has it too but we're redirecting them from you know the the form that they filled out instead of just a static thank you page into an actual experience where they can explore more programmatic content and but we ask them the very first question we ask is what's most important to you on your on your academic journey and so people can tell us at that point it's financing my education it's the flexibility it's getting a job after i graduate and to that exact point you know we can develop specific blocks of content that we know that you know, this is how this person answered this question. So um, in every communication, we need to speak to how um, job outcomes for this person, because that's really important to them. And it doesn't have to be necessarily peppered into every single communication, but it's easy enough to ha like create these blocks of content to then drop in in those follow-up communications. The other um, really powerful thing you can do with that information is have um, – milestones or things in your CRM. You don't have to have all of this information in your CRM, by the way. I feel like sometimes we get really hung up on the, every single interaction needs to be tracked in the CRM. But for the admissions team to feel empowered, you have to have some level of that information of those important questions, right? Like we know that 
this and this and this about a person and things like what what matters most to them when they want to complete their degree what type of degree obviously um so really important things like that and then they can have more meaningful conversations again um and the other thing that's really important to that too is you can from those communications or understanding what's important to someone serve up what is the next step for them to take or whether it's information to to look at and make sure they understand or um, you can actually funnel them right into schedule a call or schedule an appointment with an admissions person to help you know answer more of these types of questions so there's just so much you can do with this type of information um, well and i think it highlights the importance of marketing and recruitment enrollment working together yeah absolutely and i know that's kind of like almost become a buzzy thing to talk about but i think to stress the importance and how little we actually see those teams really working together and sharing that data, sharing that information, because it's an, it's an, such an iterative process. And I think that's part of the challenge too, is a lot of departments are under-resourced, so it's hard to really put in yep. the, like, to iterate and learn and test and have that kind of design thinking mentality. But in the situations where we have connectivity with enrollment or we're doing, you know, we're managing the enrollment, we're able to f have that feedback loop. So we're creating new personas. We're learning so much about existing. So we're constantly tweaking and updating that messaging, you know, on the, at the beginning of the engagement, but also once they get to Angie's team on the student engagement side, you know, we're constantly iterating, right? So like that connectivity between the two is super critical. Clayton, you said something near and dear to my heart or just who owns what, or, you know, there's this gray area. And I think maybe one of the reasons I like my job is when we're talking to um, our partner institutions or starting to have that uh, conversation, I think they get excited because it's like, who owns post-lead nurturing? Sometimes it's admissions, sometimes it's marketing. It's it's both, it's all, it's none. Um, and so when we start talking to them, their eyes light up because it's like, oh, someone can own this now, or you know, like this is getting this off of my plate or helping us with this. So um, I just, it's all over the place in terms of what we see in, in who owns that. But a lot of times it's this shared um, and ping, finger pointing of like, well, you know, marketing needs to do more because, you know, we're following up more one-on-one -on -one and, and things like that. So I think there's a big opportunity for this, to, to, to have that shared ownership and work together, but also to define who really should own that um, and resource it appropriately too, which often doesn't happen. How, how, can we, yeah. how can we do that when we're doing more with less? But I think it's something we need to be thinking about. So what I hear you guys talking a lot about, which is a nice segue into my next uh, question, which is actually a little bit more of an activity, is this need to really hyper-personalize the student experience, really sort of like down to the individual prospect or get it as close to that point as, as possible. And, you know, in order to do that well, schools really have to understand what it is that, you know, makes them unique, right? If you're going to be speaking to different student populations in a way that is compelling, especially when you're, again, you're promoting oftentimes one one product, maybe that product has a couple of different tracks, Maybe there are a couple of different concentrations within that, but it's like, it's one program, right? And you need to help understand what is it, again, that Clayton needs to hear with respect to this program versus Angie. And a lot of times schools don't really understand how to craft UVPs well. Uh, and you, you know, you ask people, hey, what makes you unique? And they tell you something that the school down the street, you know, told you last week, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the program's online. Yeah, yeah. It's small class sizes, you know, great student to faculty ratio, whatever it be. So that would be fun to play this game, which uh, actually our friends at Mongoose 
um, uh, uh, dubbed the taboo strategy for UVP development. And what I think would be fun is each of you will represent a different school and we'll go through this little game, this little exercise. Uh, uh, Angie, you'll take a large, you'll be the large public state institution. Clayton, you'll be representing a small private school. And I'm going to give you each a list of words that you can't use uh, to describe what makes your school unique. And then you guys will draft up a couple, two to five UVPs that could be adopted by your imaginary school. Does this sound fun? <laughs> okay, good, 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 great. And so I'll give you guys like a minute, minute and a half. We'll take a quick break. Uh, folks tuning in, you'll hear a quick message from our sponsor. Uh, and then we will come back on the other side with Clayton and Angie's answers. Your banned words, Clayton, so words you cannot use are small class sizes, great student to faculty ratio, quote unquote, you will be known here, and experiential learning opportunities. So you can't use any of those. Angie, you cannot use great research opportunities, a thriving diverse alumni network, affordable program offerings, or graduate, or excuse me, graduate career ready. So you can't use those words. Anything else is game, and we'll be back momentarily to see what you guys come up with. All right. I only came up with one. <laughs> That's good. That's all you need. That's all you need. <laughs> All right, so we're back. What did you all come up with? Angie, we'll start with you. Um, I feel like I nailed this, Ooh. but uh, <laughs> let's hear it. <laughs> not enough time. Uh, first of all, I love this challenge. It's not as easy as I thought it would be at all. So, all right. Uh, at Angie Moore's big state institution, 
learn from real world practitioners from Fortune 500 companies. I wanted to come up with a specific mm. person, but I didn't. So I would put someone's name there that people knew. <laughs> I like that. I love the addition of the Fortune 500. That's good. What's funny is we, I feel like this is what we literally do on a daily basis. Like, cause <laughs> especially for me, like we work with a lot of smaller, you know, regional private schools, you know, it's not all top fifties with, ton, you know, big brand recognition. Right. So, um, yeah, <laughs> number one for me is renowned faculty, interesting leading experts. Again, faculty are your product. I think that's really critical. And no matter how small your school is on paper, you might think that there's nothing interesting your faculty is always a really good place to start. I guarantee you, you have amazing faculty who are thought leaders who are interesting, right? And you can tell stories around. Um, and then specialized curriculum and focus. And I, I mean this, I want to give an example to, I guess, to paint. I couldn't find the right wording there to make that sound that interesting. But University of San Diego is a great example. I know you know USD really well as well. But their cross-border education that they provide, it permeates everything within that school, right? So their business school, their law school, they have specializations in this kind of underlying theme of, you know, this international focus to their education that is really unique. And they tell that story in a lot of what in, in their marketing. Um, so I think, you know, that to me, that's really powerful. And I think that's what differentiates them from a private school in Orange County that they might be competing with for students. But you know, you're able to draw in those students who are who like that cross border experience where they can go into Tijuana and get that international experience, whether in law or business or whatever. Right. So. So you didn't actually draft your value props. I know. I, I think you cheated. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, man, I have nothing specific to go on. I got to write something. And then. It's all right. It was only 90 seconds. No, I, I think Angie wins. I, I like <laughs> By default. <laughs> <laughs> no, but no, but this is but this is really good. And I, you know, the purpose of doing this is like I think you'd be surprised how often I'll talk to a, a practitioner in higher ed and I'll ask them like, "Hey, when's the last time you sat down and really thought about your UVPs, or do you even know your UVPs? Right. Like, how how often will you, would, could you walk into an institution, take marketing leaders in marketing enrollment, uh, you know, student success, sit them around the table and say?" What are your UVPs? And like make make people like write them down. I guarantee they would all be different, right? They'd probably not be identical because people don't know this. Um, and so I, I think that like they're. I, I always I, I've said this several times throughout uh, a number of, of our different shows, but when I think about like going to Chick Fil A, no matter where you go to Chick Fil A in any part of the country, you are delivered a very consistent experience, right? Everyone said they, you know, they say my pleasure uh, to, you know, you say, I want to Coke, my pleasure. They like, that's their, their canned response. You, people are delightful. They're happy. You know, they, uh, the, the product itself is great. They're somehow able to work all these people through a drive through in a very, very quick, compelling uh, way. And what I love about that is it's like, no ma again, no matter where you are, you have a, the same consistent experience. And I think that the same needs to be true in higher ed with no matter who you talk to on campus, right? Your, your prospective students, let alone your actual students, need to have a consistent experience. When they talk to someone from admissions, they should be the saying the same thing that they talk, you know, when they talk to somebody from, you know, student affairs. And too often that, that doesn't happen. And I think the reason it doesn't happen is because there isn't unity around, like, what makes us unique, what makes us special. There's maybe, you know, an overarching brand theme, right? Like, achieve more. But beyond that, right, there's, there's nothing concrete. And I think that that's the purpose of this exercise is to help inspire folks to make it a little bit more concrete. Yeah. I think another challenge is that a lot of institutions in and of themselves 
uh, are very decentralized, right? Like they're yeah, operating yeah. almost independently. Yeah. How do you keep that consistent yeah. feeling and messaging throughout? And it takes a lot of effort. Um, you know, I'm a big believer in, you know, there are certain things that should be decentralized and very, you know, specific, and there are things that should be centralized. But also, it doesn't have to be so black and white. You can operate in a decentralized way and you're kind of your own bubble while having kind of points of connectivity with the rest of the organization to come together. It just, it takes a lot of effort and leadership to understand the importance of that and make that happen. But one of the things a long time ago when I was um, a CRM ad administrator, I read uh, Mark Benioff's book when he uh, started Salesforce. And, and he spoke to this idea of needing every single person in that organization as they grew, because they blew up like overnight, uh, to know what they were all about, be able to speak consistently. So they uh, literally just like printed up postcards for everyone and everyone had them on their desk of like, you know, no software and like all their UVPs, whatever they were at the time. So that anyone talking to a customer or talking to each other, like there was just this consistent, we're all coming from this place of, you know, understanding what this company is about, what the, you know, so what this institution is about, what's most important. Um, so I think it's, it's definitely a, uh, not an easy thing to do, but it's something that we need to focus on and make sure that we're putting in that effort. One thing we started doing a few years ago is create, we call them strategic marketing guy, but in essence, the, the whole goal of that asset that we build in the beginning stages of a project is to align everyone who's at any touch point with a student, exactly what you're talking about around what, what is our, you know, what are our UVPs? How do we want to talk about our UVPs? Who are we engaging with? So, right, we incorporate those personas and what they care about, right? How do we? How are we going to talk to them? How are we going to translate those UVPs? What UVPs do they care about? And we circulate that amongst enrollment, student support, like everybody who's within that enrollment life cycle and the student life cycle from first touch point through graduation, right? And that's really the objective of it, is just to create that alignment, yeah. you know, so it it just creates that a consistent experience for, for the students. I think another good point to make here too, when thinking about like practical marketing applications are, you know, you obviously need brand level, institution level UVPs, but if you're just thinking like how to market a program is taking your brand institution level UVPs and then sit, slapping on like accounting program, <laughs> like that's not gonna work. You actually do need to think about UVPs on a program level as well, right? And deliver those. So you have to create that consistent brand experience with the institution. But if you wanna make those connections, you, it has to be at the programmatic level of what stands out about these particular programs, which is what our team yep. does a really great job with um, in terms of not only the persona development, but the, the ad creative that comes out of it is speaking to very specific programmatic um, content. and. Well, that's a great point because you you got to look for economies of scale to make this a reality and not everybody can build out custom you know messaging for every program and persona so what we do to angie's point what we do is um build out that kind of story arc we know the uvps we know kind of that foundational story we want to tell at say the department level if we're working with a number of different programs and then we use that as a foundation and kind of build variants off of that for you know, an MBA program for a supply chain. They all have this common theme and common story that we're telling that's consistent across programs, but it's tweaked specific to that program, right? And and gives the program its own identity. But again, it's it's based on a consistent kind of story departmentally, right? So it creates some efficiencies too. So you're not having to recreate for every program, you know, you can you can build creative and story at a high level and then you know, tweak it for, for programmatic. 
there's also something to be said too once once that creative is running tracking what's what's performing best right what's Mm -hmm. what are the messages that are resonating the most with the audiences that we're speaking to so that we can do more of what works and less of what doesn't and just learn over time so again i think the personas as a starting point always optimizing from there um but i think back to that idea of being decentralized too is like the importance of sharing what you're learning across the different uh different program or excuse me sorry different departments within the institution um you know making sure that that's that's clearly tracked and shared mm-hmm. it's so important even at the offset of doing something like like you know the number of schools that I feel like we talked to that still struggle to effectively run AB tests at scale. Right. right? And it's like, even, even if that's a really, really hard thing to do for, because you don't have the resources to do it, or you, you know, you don't have know how, whatever it might be, you don't have the tech doing is something as simple as like an emotional appeal contrasted with an informational appeal, just to get a sense for like, what what do, how does this particular student audience this prospective student audience respond to topical material like when you're you know when you're dealing with something like going to grad school for instance right some people that that will be a little bit more of an emotional decision others it's going to be pretty transactional right like it's like i want to go here so that i can make more money and like that's pretty it's pretty simple so like in your creative in your messaging you got to be very specific of like you know on average after graduation our students are making fifteen thousand dollars more per year or whatever it might be right versus if it you know depending on the the program right depending on kind of the stage in life you might be appealing to a career changer right maybe angie has always wanted to go do something else has been scared to do it, right? For whatever reason, she's been a marketer, but she really wants to go and be a teacher. And, you know, how are you creating a compelling message that speaks to Angie's emotional desire to do something, even if she's not necessarily going to make more money going and becoming a teacher, right? And I think that that is just a very simple frame that when in doubt, start there, right? Like start with an informational versus kind of an emotional contrast, see what works and then adapt accordingly. Zach, I said this last episode, but I really want to do this episode of like hacks, right? Like just what's one thing you could do to make a difference or test or whatever. And I think you saying that makes me think of, you know, one of the things that we've learned, and this is a general statement, but if someone is coming in on like a career changer trajectory, that speaking to speaking to those types of students with a very much like supporting tone, like you can do this, Mm -hmm. you know, this, you know, this, there might be hurdles and we're here for you throughout that. But, you know, one thing that we've learned and that you could just, you know, start to test or apply today would be how do you, how do you have um, that more of that kind of handholding or, um, you know, helping someone believe in themselves approach with someone coming in on an ad creative that's all about changing their career. Like that's a big, scary thing to do. It makes sense that that would be the type of messaging that might resonate. So I think just trying those things and testing to see what works, I think that's uh, super powerful and something that, again, like we don't necessarily even think about a lot of times as we're just trying to get, you know, refresh our ad creative, get more leads to come in, convert up, like, you know, just digging deeper into what, what different tactics we could try. So we've talked about niching down our persona development. We've talked about really leaning into our UVPs and understanding, again, what are the UVPs that are going to be shared across the institution? And then what are the UVPs that are going to be program specific? And how do you balance the communication of both? I'd love to just kind of end uh, today's episode talking a little bit about 
niche marketing and or student recruitment campaigns that you all have seen work well. Um, these could be Archer clients. These could be, you know, friends of yours in the industry, whatever it might be. But how are you all seeing schools, especially schools that, you know, uh, might not be household names? How are you seeing them execute niche marketing strategies well? So a couple of examples to point to. Um, one is a, a project we've we've worked on and a partner of ours for a number of years, private institution, um, very focused on attracting you know, a very specific audience, right? In terms of, and, and it's, I think I actually named them really, American University. So great school, but I think, you know, some for some folks know it well, some folks may not, right? Um, but what I always loved about it, and what we picked up very early on in, in our discovery with them is the type of student they want to, you know, engage with and to bring into the programs is somebody who, who literally wants to, you know, get in, get into a school and make a difference, right? They have some personal connection to education policy that they want to get in and change that policy because it's impacting someone they know or, or what have you, right? So what we did is we started brainstorming. We had a number of programs under the school of education. We're like, let's, how do we kind of encapsulate that? How do we tell that story? So we're attracting the right people who have that kind of mentality, who are going to really connect with that thinking and so our team came up with, we call it the, it was the raise your hand campaign. It's like, raise your hand if you believe in the future of education. Raise your hand if you believe um, education policy needs a change for the student. I'm just throwing random sure. things out. But we were what we were able to do is use that raise your hand campaign as kind of that, that foundation. So for each of the programs, we could tweak it not only by the program, but also by the persona to cater that kind of tagline that we used in our marketing to attract those people in different personas, different programs who are going to identify with that kind of thinking. Right. So what it did, it was really interesting. What it did is it literally our, you know, paid social, we would get hundreds of likes and shares, which drives, you know, pretty great ROI just from an efficiency perspective and drives down our cost per lead. But we're able to drive a lot of engagement with an audience of specifically teachers who were like, and parents who were like, you know what, I have, I, you know, my kid is struggling with learning disabilities and there's no support in a school. I want to go into the local school system and help provide more support for those kids. I want that education policy leadership program. And literally like I'm raising my hand because I want to, I want to do that. Right. And so it's kind of evolved into a, the larger kind of identity of the school. They have t-shirts that it's like all over, you know, it's like their identity, which yeah. is cool. But if you think about it, there's just, there's a lot of economies of scale there. There's a consistent message and it's what it's doing is it, we're driving mission aligned people who are filling their classroom with, you know, it's all folks who are really driven to make a difference in some different way. It might be very different amongst the people, but they're very focused on getting their hands dirty to, to, to do, you know, accomplish something. Yeah. That's definitely my favorite example that we have, I think, for a lot of reasons. But Zach, you mentioned this earlier, you know. Um, in different campaigns, the more emotional appeal will work and uh, transactional for others. When you think about teaching, like that's a very passion-driven yeah. line of work. Um, you, got, you have to really be, your heart has to be in it to want to be a teacher. And so I think, you know, that emotional connection was really powerful in something that's meaningful to a lot of teachers. And the use of the raise your hand emoji was uh, a really powerful and smart, I think, way. Like, I didn't come up with a campaign, so I can say that, uh, <laughs> to for people to be able to interact with it. And to Clayton's point, another one of the things I loved about it was just 
you know, creating uh, a little bit more buzz or actually like attention for yeah. the for the program around it too, uh, above and beyond what you could do with just an ad and, and generating leads typically. Um, I'll give an example on the kind of nurturing and engagement side of things. It's, um, you know, we work with a really small public institution that um, offers, you know, degree completion, um, undergrad business programs. And so um, as they were kind of coming into the nurturing flow, you know, again, just through some testing and realizing over time, like this particular um, group of prospective students, again, some of this is from questions we would ask them along the way, but um, and working with the admissions team, kind of understanding that um, a lot of this uh, student body or prospective students, they are, you know, it, they're wanting to complete their business bachelor's degree and they're working in jobs where, you know, they they feel like they're, they're micromanaged, there's nowhere to go up, you know, th but they want to get their degree and they just really, there's just so much, so many struggles mentally and with confidence about their ability to achieve this. And so that's where I kind of mentioned earlier this idea of um, just helping support. We came up with this, I call it a campaign, but it was really just tailoring all that communication to uh, you can. We can. That was the concept of it. Is yeah. You can do this. Yeah. And again, working with the admissions team too to kind of develop or sorry, uh, use that same language as well, and just have that mentality. And when they're working with this particular program and students coming in to see if we could make a difference. Um, and so, you know, we did see um, we did see growth in terms of applications and enrollments from that program and in, in going that direction. And again, I think coming back to something we were talking about earlier, it was we took kind of baby steps with getting that campaign live. Like we came up with the um, the um, strategic marketing guide around the idea. Um, the team had it and then you have to get all the communications in place and then working with the admissions team on it. So um, it, it was just really powerful, I think, to see not only the impact it made, but just see the teams working together on, on a campaign like that. But. What, I, what I love about both of these examples, uh, and I think it fits a little bit you know, nicer with uh, the American University example, but there is something magical that I feel like happens when you can pursue a really niche marketing campaign but then it also has like the mechanics baked into it where it can go viral in a sense, like beyond the campaign. Like I, I can imagine, I haven't actually seen this creative, but I can, I can imagine like the social, the, the creative around the uh, raise your hand campaign being something that like people who have no idea or, or, you know, aren't even thinking about pursuing a master's in education could like and share that or tag their favorite teacher in it like on social and say hey thank you for helping me do this or right. i you know you you inspire me to do that and like it is it is super super cool when you can develop something that is super niche in focus but that also has broad appeal with the community outside of your your target audience well, guys, thank you for another great episode. Folks tuning in, this is, again, a part of a special podcast series between Archer Education and Enrollify. Lots more to come. If you missed episode one, you can scroll down to the show notes, and there will be links to head on over to that episode. All the episodes can be found at enrollify.org and will also be hosted someplace on the Archer website. And by the time that we figure out where, I will change this part of the conversation <laughs> in. All right, thanks, guys, for your time. You know, you say, I want a Coke, my pleasure. They, like, that's their, their canned response. You, people are delightful. They're happy. 
you know, they, uh, the, the product itself is great. They're somehow able to work all these people through a drive-through in a very, very quick, compelling uh, way. And what I love about that is it's like, no ma- again, no matter where you are, you have a, the same consistent experience. And I think that the same needs to be true in higher ed with no matter who you talk to on campus, right? Your, your prospective students, let alone your actual students, need to have a consistent experience. When they talk to someone from admissions, they should be the saying the same thing that they talk, you know, when they talk to somebody from, you know, student affairs. And too often that, that doesn't happen. And I think the reason it doesn't happen is because there isn't unity around, like, what makes us unique, what makes us special. There's maybe, you know, an overarching brand theme, right, like achieve more. But beyond that, right, there's, there's nothing concrete. And I think that that's the purpose of this exercise is to help inspire folks to make it a little bit more concrete. Yeah. I think another challenge is that a lot of institutions in and of themselves uh, are very decentralized, right? Like yeah, they're operating yeah. almost independently. Yeah. How do you keep that there consistent yeah. feeling and messaging throughout? And it takes a lot of effort. Um, you know, I'm a big believer in, you know, there are certain things that should be decentralized and very, you know, specific, and there are things that should be centralized. But also, it doesn't have to be so black and white. You can operate in a decentralized way and you're kind of your own bubble while having kind of points of connectivity with the rest of the organization to come together. It just, it takes a lot of effort and leadership to understand the importance of that and make that happen. But one of the things a long time ago when I was um, a CRM ad- administrator, I read uh, Mark Benioff's book when he uh, started Salesforce. And, and he spoke to this idea of needing every single person in that organization as they grew, because they blew up like overnight, uh, to know what they were all about, be able to speak consistently. So they uh, literally just like printed up postcards for everyone and everyone had them on their desk of like, you know, no software and like all their UVPs, whatever they were at the time. So that anyone talking to a customer or talking to each other, like there was just this consistent, we're all coming from this place of, you know, understanding what this company is about, what the, you know, so what this institution is about, what's most important. Um, so I think it's it's definitely a, uh, not an easy thing to do, but it's something that we need to focus on and make sure that we're putting in that effort. One thing we started doing a few years ago is create, we call them strategic marketing guy, but in essence, the, the whole goal of that asset that we build in the beginning stages of a project is to align everyone who's at any touch point with a student, exactly what you're talking about around what what is our, you know, what are our UVPs? How do we want to talk about our UVPs? Who are we engaging with? So, right, we incorporate those personas and what they care about, right? How do we? How are we going to talk to them? How are we going to translate those UVPs? What UVPs do they care about? And we circulate that amongst enrollment, student support, like everybody who's within that enrollment life cycle and the student life cycle from first touch point through graduation, right? And that's really the objective of it, is just to create that alignment, yeah. you know, so it it just creates that a consistent experience for, for the students. I think another good point to make here too, when thinking about like practical marketing applications are, you know, you obviously need brand level, institution level UVPs, but if you're just thinking like how to market a program is taking your brand institution level UVPs and then slapping on like accounting program, like that's not going to work. You actually do need to think about UVPs on a program level as well, right? And deliver those. So you have to create that consistent brand experience with the institution. But if you want to make those connections, it has to be at the programmatic level of what stands out about these particular programs, which is what our team does a really great job with um, in terms of not only the persona development, but the the ad creative that comes out of it is speaking to very specific programmatic um, content and 
Well, that's a great point because you, you got to look for economies of scale to make this a reality. And not sure. everybody can build out custom, you know, messaging for every program and persona. So what we do to Angie's point, what we do is, um, build out that kind of story arc. We know the UVPs, we know kind of that foundational story we want to tell at say the department level, if we're working with a number of different programs. And then we use that as a foundation and kind of build variants off of that for, you know, an MBA program for a supply chain. They all have this common theme and common story that we're telling that's consistent across programs, but it's tweaked specific to that program. Right. And, and gives the program its own identity. But again, it's, it's, based on a consistent kind of story departmentally, right? So it creates some efficiencies too. So you're not having to recreate for every program, you know, you can, you can build creative and story at a high level and then, you know, tweak it for, for programmatic. There's also something to be said too. Once, once that creative is running, tracking what's, what's performing best, right? What's, Mm -hmm what are the messages that are resonating the most with the audiences that we're speaking to so that we can do more of what works and less of what doesn't and just learn over time. So again, I think the personas as a starting point and always optimizing from there. Um, But I think back to that idea of being decentralized too is like the importance of sharing what you're learning across the different, uh, different, program or excuse me sorry different departments within the institution um you know making sure that that's that's clearly tracked and shared mm-hmm. it's so important even at the offset of doing something like like you know the number of schools that i feel like we talk to that still struggle to effectively run a b tests at scale right. right and it's like even even if that's a really really hard thing to do for because you don't have the resources to do it or you you know you don't have know how whatever it might be you don't have the tech Doing is something as simple as like an emotional appeal contrasted with an informational appeal just to get a sense for like what what do, how does this particular student audience, this prospective student audience respond to topical material? Like when you're, you know, when you're dealing with something like going to grad school, for instance, right? Some people that, that will be a little bit more of an emotional decision. Others, it's going to be pretty transactional, right? Like, it's like, I want to go here so that I can make more money. And like, that's pretty, it's pretty simple. So like in your creative, in your messaging, you got to be very specific of like, you know, on average after graduation, our students are making $15,000 more per year or whatever it might be. Right. Versus if it, you know, depending on the the program, right. Depending on kind of the stage in life, you might be appealing to a career changer, right? Maybe Angie has always wanted to go do something else has been scared to do it, right? For whatever reason, she's been a marketer, but she really wants to go and be a teacher. And, you know, how are you creating a compelling message that speaks to Angie's emotional desire to do something, even if she's not necessarily going to make more money going and becoming a teacher, right? And I think that that is just a very simple frame that when in doubt, start there, right? Like start with an informational versus kind of an emotional contrast, see what works and then adapt accordingly. Zach, I said this last episode, but I really want to do this episode of like hacks, right? Like what's one thing you could do to make a difference or test or whatever. And I think you saying that makes me think of, you know, one of the things that we've learned, and this is a general statement, but if someone is coming in on like a career changer trajectory, that speaking to speaking to those types of students with a very much like supporting tone, like you can do this, Mm -hmm. you know, this, you know, this, there might be hurdles and we're here for you throughout that. But, you know, one thing that we've learned and that you could just, you know, 
start to test or apply today would be how do you how do you have um, that more of that kind of hand holding or um, you know helping someone believe in themselves yeah. approach with someone coming in on a, an ad creative that's all about changing their career like that's a big scary thing to do yeah. it makes sense that that would be the type of messaging that might resonate so I think just trying those things and testing to see what works I think that's uh, super powerful and something that again like we're, we don't necessarily even think about a lot of times as we're just trying to get you know refresh our ad creative get more leads to come in convert up like you know just digging deeper into what what different tactics we could try so we've talked about niching down our persona development we've talked about really leaning into our uvps and understanding again what are the uvps that are going to be shared across the institution and then what are the uvps that are going to be program specific and how do you balance the communication of both I'd love to just kind of end uh, today's episode talking a little bit about niche marketing and or student recruitment campaigns that you all have seen work well. Um, these could be Archer clients. These could be, you know, friends of yours in the industry, whatever it might be. But how are you all seeing schools, especially schools that, you know, uh, might not be household names? How are you seeing them execute niche marketing strategies well? So a couple of examples to point to. Um one is a project we've we've worked on and a partner of ours for a number of years private institution um very focused on attracting you know a very specific audience right in terms of and and it's i think i actually named them really american university so great school but i think you know some for some folks know it well some folks may not right um, but what I always loved about it and what we picked up very early on in, in our discovery with them is the type of student there they want to, you know, engage with and to bring into the programs is somebody who, who literally wants to, you know, get in, get into a school and make a difference, right? They have some personal connection to education policy that they want to get in and change that policy because it's impacting someone they know or, or what have you, right? So, what we did is we started brainstorming. We had a number of programs under the School of Education. We're like, let's, how do we kind of encapsulate that? How do we tell that story so we're attracting the right people who have that kind of mentality, who are going to really connect with that thinking? And so our team came up with, we call it, the, it was the raise your hand campaign. It's like, raise your hand if you believe in the future of education. Raise your hand if you believe um, education policy needs a change for the student. I'm just throwing random sure. things out. But we were, what we were able to do is use that raise your hand campaign as kind of that, that foundation. So for each of the programs, we could tweak it not only by the program, but also by the persona to cater that kind of tagline that we used in our marketing to attract those people in different personas, different programs who are going to identify with that kind of thinking. Right. So what it did, it was really interesting. What it did is it literally our, you know, paid social, we would get hundreds of likes and shares, which drives you know pretty great ROI just from an efficiency perspective and drives down our cost per lead but we're able to drive a lot of engagement with an audience of specifically teachers who were like and parents who were like you know what I have I you know my kid is struggling with learning disabilities and there's no support in a school I want to go into the local school system and help provide more support for those kids I want that education policy leadership program and literally like I'm raising my hand because I want to I want to do that right and so it's kind of evolved into the larger kind of identity of the school. They have t-shirts that it's like all over, you know, it's like their identity, which yeah. is cool. But if you think about it, there's just, there's a lot of economies of scale there. There's a consistent message 
and it's what it's doing is it, we're driving mission aligned people who are filling their classroom with, you know, it's all folks who are really driven to make a difference in some different way. It might be very different amongst the people, but they're very focused on getting their hands dirty to, to, to do, you know, accomplish something. Yeah. That's definitely my favorite example that we have, I think for a lot of reasons, but Zach, you mentioned this earlier, you know, um, in different campaigns, the more emotional appeal will work and uh, transactional for others. When you think about teaching, like that's a very passion driven yeah. line of work. Um, you got, you have to really be, your heart has to be in it to want to be a teacher. And so I think, you know, that emotional connection was really powerful in something that's meaningful to a lot of teachers. And the use of the raise your hand emoji was uh, a really powerful and smart, I think, way. Like, I didn't come up with a campaign, so I can say that, uh, <laughs> to for people to be able to interact with it. And to Clayton's point, another one of the things I loved about it was just, you know, creating uh, a little bit more buzz or actually like attention for yeah. the for the program around it too, uh, above and beyond what you could do with just an ad and, and generating leads typically. Um, I'll give an example on the kind of nurturing and engagement side of things. It's, um, you know, we work with a really small public institution that um, offers, you know, degree completion, um, undergrad business programs. And so, um, as they were kind of coming into the nurturing flow, you know, again, just through some testing and realizing over time, like this particular um, group of prospective students, again, some of this is from questions we would ask them along the way, but, um, and working with the admissions team, kind of understanding that um, a lot of this uh, student body or prospective students, they are, you know, it, they're wanting to complete their business bachelor's degree and they're working in jobs where you know they they feel like they're they're micromanaged there's nowhere to go up you know but they want to get their degree and they just really there's just so much so many struggles mentally and with confidence about their ability to achieve this and so that's where I kind of mentioned earlier this idea of um, just helping support we came up with this I call it a campaign but it was really just tailoring all that communication to uh, you can, we can, that was the concept of it, is yeah. you can do this. Yeah. And again, working with the admissions team too, to kind of develop, or sorry, uh, use that same language as well and just have that mentality when they're working with this particular program and students coming in to see if we could make a difference. Um, and so, you know, we did see, um, we did see growth in terms of applications and enrollments from that program and in, in going that direction. And again, I think coming back to something we were talking about earlier it was we took kind of baby steps with getting that campaign live like we came up with the um the um strategic marketing guide around the idea um the team had it and then you have to get all the communications in place and then working with the admissions team on it so um it, it was just really powerful i think to see not only the impact it made but just see the teams working together on on a campaign like that but. what i what i love about both of these examples uh and i think it fits a little bit you know, nicer with uh, the American University example, but there is something magical that I feel like happens when you can pursue a really niche marketing campaign, but then it also has like the mechanics baked into it where it can go viral in a sense, like beyond the campaign. Like I, I can imagine, I haven't actually seen this creative, but I can, I can imagine like the social, the, the creative around the uh, raise your hand campaign being something that like people who have no idea or, or, you know, aren't even thinking about pursuing a master's in education 
could like and share that or tag their favorite teacher in it, like on social and say, Hey, thank you for helping me do this. Or I, you know, you, you inspire me to do that. And like, it is, it is super, super cool when you can develop something that is super niche in focus, but that also has broad appeal with the community outside of your, your target audience. Well, guys, thank you for another great episode. Folks tuning in, this is, again, a part of a special podcast series between Archer Education and Enrollify. Lots more to come. If you missed episode one, you can scroll down to the show notes, and there will be links to head on over to that episode. All the episodes can be found at enrollify.org and will also be hosted someplace on the Archer website. And by the time that we figure out where, I will change this part of the conversation. (laughs) All right. Thanks, guys, for your time. Thanks, Zach. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.